Welcome to the Gagaris Mammal Podcast, and this episode I'm talking to Daniel G. It's you seem to explicitly use it, so Daniel G. Seagull. Um, and we met at a conference a little while back uh, in Voxed in Belgrade. Kate and I have already spoken a little bit about that conference, but uh, Daniel's talk was somewhat similar in at least in motivation to to mine and some of the topics we've discussed previously on the show so we wanted to get him on and have a discussion so yeah daniel introduce yourself and uh very briefly to begin with what your talk was about hey chris uh it's great great to to be here and thanks for your invitation <laughs> um as you said we met i think two years ago right like at Vox, well, yeah we actually met both right? times to be fair yeah <laughs> And <laughs> so actually my, my, this year's talk is a continuation of my last year's talk, uh, which was the lost medium. Uh, but before I go into that, I, I'm a solo consultant and I help, um, my clients with digital marketing strategies and my, my, my vision behind my business mostly to, to make sense of computers. So to, to, to use the computer to actually solve real problems. Mm-hmm. And that was like the, the primary motivation to to jump into this topic to give those two talks. And last year's talk was mostly about um, the innovation process we we have lost. So there were so many great projects mm-hmm. in the sixties, in the seventies, and um, I highlighted some of those. And at the end of the talk, I, I had a feeling that I've left something out, which was what now and. This led me to, or this question led me to, to give another talk to explore mostly on, on how we actually, um, invent things or do innovation, how we, we come to the state we are right, right now and what we actually are missing out by, by not looking to the left and to the right. So the talk and, uh, blog post prior to it was entitled, the bullet hole misconception, which is a somewhat strange title for a talk on technology. So maybe you explain <laughs> where that comes from. <laughs> well, I, I don't think that the name was, was used before my talk, but um, I found it such a great title, so I, I just uh, stuck to it. And uh, I'm starting my talk with a story about uh, airplanes in World War II, where... Um, the, the Americans and the, the British military was, was doing like the, these bomber raids mm. over Germany. And, uh, if you look at the statistics, uh, they were losing like a lot of people, a lot of airplanes. Um, there were heavy battles over the skies over Germany. Um, you can imagine like flak and, and enemy fighter airplanes and friendly fire and so on. And th- there are these, these crazy stories that sometimes, um, people were thrown off the planes just to, uh, and, and, they were hoping like being called by the enemy and sent to a POW camp, for example, mm. and so on. And, and uh, I think the, the average survival rate was like maybe 50%, but, but in like, especially in the beginning, it was a lot less, maybe like 10%. So it was similar to, to like the first world war. And of course the, the military was trying to improve those, those statistics. And of course, if, if you're trying to, Make, make an airplane safer, at least a military airplane. You, you're always trying to add armor, but of course you can't arm the, the whole airplane. Mm. Otherwise it won't take off. So the question was where to put the additional armor. And they actually, they, they looked at all the returning airplanes and 
did some, some plots, some, some maps, and, and overlaid the, the bullet holes um, on each airplane and found out the, the main, um, the various areas on, on the plane where the, the fuselage, the outer wings, and the tail. Mm. And of course, they wanted to to reinforce those those damaged areas. And there was a statistician who was working um, to on, on on those kind of problems, and um, they asked him about like if you can just like have a look at at their results and, and see if, if you can improve anything. And he just told me you're, you're, it's it's completely wrong what you're doing mm. um, because. If a plane makes, makes it back safely with, say, um, bullet holes in a fuselage, it meant those bullet holes weren't very dangerous at all. You know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so actually, the bullet holes in, in the engines or in the cockpits or all those areas where there where, where there virtually no bullet holes, those are the, the, the really sensitive parts of the plane. Mm. And that, that finding helped to at least improve the statistics for, for those people. Uh, some people say it's how to turn the tide of war. Um, but generally that, that was the, the interesting thing for me that, um, the stakes were so high back then, you know, mm. we're, we're talking about the, the fate of a nation or like the world war and, um, they were doing like such a stupid mistake. And this led me to a question like, what stupid mistakes are we doing in our professional lives? And especially when we're talking about computers. It's also actually interesting because, uh, sort of, read a, a couple of anecdotes from the second world war especially where um one big advantage the the british especially had was that they were more open to crazy ideas <laughs> and this actually in some respects was a success because um no one expected them a lot of the time um and i yeah i wonder if that's a little bit of the the uh the your point as well in that maybe at, at the moment we are too afraid to um well not afraid maybe afraid's a bad word we're making software but uh we don't want to take too many risks we want to stick to common patterns and we only change ideas when everyone else does it uh and we're we're worried that people will criticize us for taking a, a crazy idea that isn't kind of part of the the current cool sort of yeah. mantra I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm trying to draw too many parallels, but <laughs> well, I, th- I think I can. Like, we can talk about lots of things he- right here because, first of all, um, and and that was the point of my first talk. There's so many great ideas out there, and even like in, in the 90s, even like five years ago, and, and even now, we have some people who were like coming up with, with crazy solutions and really cool ways to to interact with computers, right. great ideas, and so on. Uh, just like mostly, they are ignored. And yeah, th- yeah. that wasn't the case, I don't think, like uh, four years ago, 50 years ago. Um, you know, people were coming into computers back then and f- from, from different fields like, I don't know, biology or uh, literature or uh, mm. physics and so on. And they were trying to solve their own problems, thinking about like, how can a computer help me to, to mm. make my life better? And now it's just like, okay, we got the new iPhone and that's it. So and, and this, is, <laughs> this is what innovation is, is like yeah. these days. And of course, it's it's easy to to say that um, it's it's a whole different thing if, if you pick a career in IT and you're I don't know project manager, designer, uh, programmer, and so on. You you have a family at home, you have bills to pay, and so on. And, and 
um, your boss tells you like we need, then your website up to it tomorrow. Like mm. there, there's no time to be creative and think mm. about like mm. what other things could we do. So do you, do you feel that maybe a lot of it has to do with the maturity of the of the space now? That in the there was an element in the past that I'm. I think I caught the tail end of it. I started working in web development in the late nineties where to be honest with you, no one had a clue what you did. Um, so you could claim something took four times as long as it really did. Cause you wanted to try out some new technique and people would just say, okay, yeah, whatever, you know, I don't know anything. And that's changed a bit, which in some respects is a positive <laughs> right, right. <laughs> because, because that kind of cult of, uh, of knowledge is a, is a dangerous thing in itself. But um, uh-huh. that now a lot of people maybe are more uh, informed and can say, well, you know, we need this website up tomorrow and I know you can do it. <laughs> so right, right, right. just do it. <laughs> I mean, the, the, inter- the interesting question here is always why. Yeah, um, yeah. Nowadays, it's it's really, really easy to to get up with a, I don't know, web app or something like that. Uh, just look at the JavaScript infrastructure, NPM, mm-hmm. Node and so on. Like you have everything available. It's just a matter of, of installing the right packages and you're, you're, you're off to go. Um, the interesting thing here though is like, why do you need a website, for example? Mm. And that, that's a really interesting thing I ask my client. Like often people come to me and tell me like, are we in a new website? And my first reaction is always like, why? Mm. Yeah, because we need to attract new, new, new customers. Yeah, but why? Yeah. And yeah. If, if you ask the why like four or five times, you, you come up with something where the website is not the best solution for, for this thing. Mm. I mean, I, I don't want to say like you don't need a website at all. It's just like for a specific <laughs> problem, yeah. uh, there, there, there are other, other ways to do things. Yeah. And just, just to give you an example, like uh, a few weeks ago, I've been to a small management consulting firm and they were telling me like, we need a website with 10,000 visitors a month and so on. And ultimately it's possible, but, why do you need it? And they're actually coming up with that, that thing that they need new, new customers, new leads and so on. And we were looking at the statistics or analytics of their website. They had about 300 visitors a month. Okay. Yeah. And what really was really interesting to me is that the, the CEO was an avid speaker. He, he was at conferences like at least uh, two to three times uh, a month. Mm. And we actually lined up his calendar with the, the analytics of the website and match up perfectly. Okay. Uh, yeah. Even if even if the the audience size and so on. And so I just told them like the easiest thing would be not to do a new website, but to to create something of value, maybe like a, a summary of of the presentation or a follow up, a small ebook, something like that, and 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 give that to the people after the presentation. Mm. And then th- there's actually solving real problems for. Or what he's talking about for their clients and so on. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's the thing which is mostly lost. We we don't ask why anymore, and it's just like this is the best way uh, we we can we I, can I, do things. I right? don't know. I think we do ask why, but maybe we ask why in a different context. Um, we ask why after that point. Like you need a new website. Right. Okay. Right. Why is someone coming to this website? Not sure. why do you even want a website in the first place? Yeah, maybe right. that's we do ask why a lot, but maybe at the wrong time. Is <laughs> is the yeah yeah that might yeah. be a better explanation. <laughs> yeah, um, and actually now just coming through your post because you mentioned also the invention of the printing press, which is a particular 
sort of favorite point in history of mine because I I often think that when people now say um you know the internet is such a marvel of communication technology that we've never had before and I often think that well actually we people probably said the same when the printing press arrived you know you can only compare to what you had before Uh um so at the time the printing press was amazing and fast and mass communication that we never had before but one thing you mentioned here um which I find interesting is you say it took uh 30 or 40 years for presses to be in hundreds of cities in six different countries which for the time was is fast uh-huh. uh and then 100 years for 8 million books to be printed um and throughout this period of time you know there was iterative improvements about what a book meant um and of course as you said again the book itself was not a new concept but the production of the the book was so I wonder if you if you think that um at the moment with the kind of computing revolution are we just in a similar time frame sort of I guess I guess it's about 50 to 60 years later we're just sort of iterating on the big uh, revolution that happened in the past and and we're maybe waiting for the next step whatever that might be and we're just kind of iterating right now Definitely yeah. um I mean the computer is a new medium like the TV or radio was before And if you look at all these these things, you will find there's a certain time frame where people were exploring that new medium and trying out things. And one of my my most famous examples is um, the the story about Orson Welles, The War mm. of the Worlds, where he was uh, broadcasting the the his story over the radio, and people were thinking it's a real story. Mm. Um, and, and things like this is are are happening with computers as, as well. I mean. Just look at, at the last year um, or the last two years, for example, with um, the, the, the Spring Revolution in the Arabic State, for example, with Trump being elected, mm-hmm. uh, with the Snowden revelations and so on. So it's interesting times, and, and you can see that we have no idea yet what to make make out of the medium. Mm-hmm. And we're still in, in this exploring phase, and, and my my idea is, of course. Looking at the printing press and the story you were mentioning before, yeah. um, how can we accelerate this process and make sense of this this new medium before it changes us? Mm. And the problem I basically have with computers is that it's 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 such a. I mean, the, the last thing probably the last new medium which had such an impact was probably the car, maybe, and that took yeah. Uh, yeah. close to fifty, sixty, seventy years. And with computers, it's so much faster. And I have, I think we have to be really careful right now to not go into the wrong direction because it's, it, it will be a, a basic, a basic thing for us, for our culture and for our society. Hmm. Um, I, I think it already yeah. is. In, if you Definitely, want to extrapolate yeah. computers into mobile phones as well, then it already is, I think. Um, yeah. Right. And, and so, What do you consider the wrong direction? <laughs> <laughs> well, to be honest, I'm I'm quite optimistic. So I yeah. think things will will work out in the end. Yeah. Um, and especially with things like the, the Trump election or the Trump election or Snowden, those are of course like the the strategies of of these mm. years. Um, we also have a really really good things happening to us. For example, 
we can talk right now, even if we're separate by a few hundred kilometers, right? Now. And and for example, we can see each other. I can talk to my brother yeah, in the US, for, for sure. example. Yeah. Um, I can share my article, my thoughts, really easily. Um, and and there are really cool things happening right now. And I I, I just think if we just keep it going like this, this will probably be the wrong yeah. wrong direction. Yeah. And. There, there was a talk by Brad Victor um, called The Future of Programming. And mm-hmm. His entry was basically, um, or I have to <laughs> start over. Uh, his talk was given in 2013, but he dressed up as a, as a scientist in the 70s. And yes. in, in that sense, he was showing like the great new project they were doing in the 70s. Yeah. At some point, you, 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 you figure out that, that he's actually talking about our time because not much has changed. <laughs> yeah. you know, we're still coding in text files line yeah. by line and um, we're not sharing and, and collaborating o- over computers like people imagined back then and so yeah. on. And his, his end statement was, was basically this, that um, with these great new ideas, great new visions and technologies, and it's, it's amazing. And the only sad thing would be if in 40 years we would, would still program in, in text files and still do the same things as we do yeah. right now. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good answer to, to your question. Okay. And actually, I think this is one of the interesting aspects of having this conversation is generally if you criticize the status quo, everyone assumes that you're negative. And actually, just pointing out uh, problems doesn't necessarily mean that you uh, think the future is doom and gloom, doom and gloom and bleak. Um, <laughs> and actually, I, I think in some respects, social networks and the the uh, the uh, some of the aspects of the modern internet are almost to blame for that. That you can't criticize anymore without being labelled just a negative person. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, that's right. a side that's a side topic in some ways, but yeah, I, I'm an optimist too. Uh, so despite yeah, I, I, yeah. I thought your you talk was quite optimistic, yeah. even though it was quite harsh in in, <laughs> in its statements. <laughs> So, yeah. Um, and I guess, so if, if we say that in the seventies, we were still coding in text files and effectively we still are, but just text files with a lot of dressing on, um, what, what do you think will be the, the big leaps forward that could change that, um, and and this could be something that actually is plausible or something that you your own crazy idea that you you think could push push this to the next level and the next level of developments in the sort of right. computing space so i i think a new medium will change how how we think and how we can act like the car for example changed our our whole world we are mm. becoming more mobile um we go to streets, we can go like to, to into vacation and I can drive to Berlin tomorrow if I want to and so on. This was not possible before, mm. which also changes how we work, how we live and so on. And similarly, I think the computer has, has the possibility to change how we think and how, how we solve problems. And right now, this is not really happening. Like I, I know lots of programmers, for example, who solve their own problems. Yeah. Like they have, I don't know, a side project, like they need to water their plants or yeah. they need yeah. to calculate some things or they, they want to track their investments and so on. And they can easily write their own problems. And what I'm missing here is that the, the average layman can't do that right now. Mm. And in my opinion, the computer should help normal people to solve their problems as well. 
And by doing that, we'll, we, we can actually augment ourselves. Yeah. And by doing that, we can invent new, new and better tools, which in, of course will point us to being even more augmented and so on. And it, it yeah. will result in a, let's say, continual co-evolution. You actually have an interesting point in your post that I'd like to come to next. But firstly, I'm actually going to, I think I'm going to challenge you slightly and disagree with you slightly on that point. Okay. In that, um, actually, I feel like there is now technology available for people to be able to do that sort of thing without having to understand coding to a point, like tools like mm-hmm. Ift and the sort of drag and drop builder type tools that let you kind of visually program some things um but i i think maybe the problem more lies in that a lot of people feel like they can't do that it's not that the technology doesn't exist but no one has told them that it exists or no one has told them that they can use it enough we kind of build tools you're right in that we build tools too much for ourselves um and sometimes with the intention of making them accessible to others, but we don't necessarily tell them about it. I don't know. I'm not sure if that makes any sense. <laughs> no, it, it definitely makes sense. Because yeah. my, my question too would be, does your mom use IFTTF? Um, <laughs> well, my... And- so strangely, my, my dad, actually, I don't have a mother anymore, but my dad actually had a physics and maths degree and actually used to program computers back in the 70s and 80s in basic. Okay. Um and then he personally completely skipped um, generations. He's now loves his tablet, but trying to get him to use a computer from the nineties or two thousands, he would never touch it. Right. Um, but my 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 dad is a bad example because my dad only does things that he sees a point in. <laughs> so I get your point, though. My own yeah. my own parents are a bad example, but uh, I get your point. Um, so again, I think this varies. So I have met older people who who are more inquisitive. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's an age thing. It's more of just a mindset. But uh, I think it's education too. Uh, a lot of older people obviously have not been through a period of education where they have been encouraged more to to mm-hmm. to challenge and investigate more. And I'm guessing that will change over time yeah. as well. So. I mean, the, the thing is, even, even if it's that, we're not making it really easy for, for those people mm. to, to learn how to make use of computers, right? Yeah. So we're, we're giving them a, a tricycle, so to say, and teach them to, to ride a tricycle, but the bicycle would be even faster. And yeah. Of course, okay. you, you, you need to invest some, yeah. some time to learn that, of course. <laughs> exactly. But, if you're going <laughs> to, if you're going to bother to learn to ride a tricycle, why not bother to learn to ride a bike? Yeah. Yeah. And, and here's the interesting thing. If, if, if a computer is such an important role in our society and you, you will be using computer from now until the end of your life. Mm. Doesn't it make sense to, to like make some efforts on in learning some things yeah. and, and actually making use of the computer. Yeah. I think the education yeah. one is a big aspect and oh, de- definitely, yeah. I, th- I think our favorite tagline of this podcast is that's a whole other topic. <laughs> um, so I'm going to, I'm going to move on to, um, uh, another point in your post, uh, you say, let's pose this question. When was the last time your computer was fun? Um, I find this interesting. I, again, I'm not 100% sure if I completely agree, agree with you on the fun aspect. Like that's mm-hmm. a sort of 
it's it's all too much of a loaded question maybe but yeah. the actual the point i would like to take that you go into more detail later was when i studied computer science we i actually did a course that was quite interesting and we had um one module that was at the time taught by the school of psychology uh, and it was human computer interaction as it was yeah. sort of called then i think now it's more called ux but um, and one of the aspects that I that we got taught that has stuck with me was this concept of abstraction, like making something very complicated actually quite simple. Uh-huh. Um, and the, you go into a lot of examples here um, where because you, you're sort of putting the point of saying that because engineers tend to develop tools um, and maybe engineers that have also become product people and things like that, that we we have sort of created these these tools that we want, i.e., ones that reduce our um, interactions with humans, <laughs> and dress it up in the guise of efficiency, like you say about online ordering, driverless cars, online stores, um, online dating, all these sorts of things where we're basically trying to say we're making it easier, but actually all we've really done is remove humans. Um, uh-huh. And yeah, I would be. I'd sort of. I'm guessing your perspective is. Well, you're not. You're not explicitly saying that this is good or bad. But so do you think these changes are good or bad, or it varies? <laughs> that's that's an interesting point. Um, yeah. Because I think technology is always good and bad, not yeah. either or. <laughs> so every every new technology brings within good sides and bad sides, and, yeah. and there's never only good sides. And if you're talking about Amazon, about driverless cars, about online stores, social media, we can talk a lot about the good things mm. they, they, they bring us. Um, what I'm missing and, and what I try- was trying to point to here was that we are not looking at the, at the bad sides. You know? mm. okay. um, yeah, yeah. So, for example, I, I had an example of the online dating thing uh, where we have like apps like Tinder or Cupid or whatever. Um, which actually have an, have a real impact in that people don't actually talk to each other in a bar or in the suite anymore. Because mm. everyone is thinking like, oh, I'll, I'll get like the next girl or, girl, or guy, um, over my, my Tinder accounts. And <laughs> yeah. it's, it, it's, it's, it's a placative example, but, um, we're not looking at the bad sides here, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's the thing I'm, I'm, I'm missing in here. Yeah, no, I, I sort of agree with you there. I think I, I can't talk much for the online dating because I've been married for nearly 10 years. <laughs> so I, uh, to be honest with you, if I was single tomorrow, I wouldn't know what to do anymore. Like the world is so completely changed right. in that space. Um, but some of the others, I think the driverless cars one is an interesting one because yeah. on the positive, it opens up driving to people who couldn't drive before for various reasons. But on the negative, yeah, it will destroy a lot of interactions with businesses that we currently have to interact with. Stores are the same. I mean, the positive is you can get anything at any time, which, to be honest with you, uh, in the past few years, every time I've ever tried to go and buy, find something on a, on a high street, I've never been able to find it. So, right. you know, that solves that. But at the same time, of course, you, know, you reduce those interactions again, and it's very easy to, mm-hmm. to put yourself into those worlds. We, we all do it because it's... It's, 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 it's easier in some respects. People are difficult. <laughs> right. This is a great example by, uh, Neil Postman, where yeah. he gave a talk about this, this topic. And he was 
like his opinion was not that um, like how is good or bad, but he was trying to point out nuances between those. And he made the example that let's suppose it's 1905 and, and the car was just invented, and yeah. you would now make a list of of positive things and negative things. Yeah, and on the sure. positive side, you would put up like mobility, and you can visit your grandma, yeah. and you can travel to work, and you can go on vacations, and yeah. and so on. On the bad side would be I don't know, pollution, uh, car jam, traffic mm-hmm. accidents, um, uh, a restructuring of, of cities, and so on. Mm. And then after putting up this list, thinking about like, do we actually want this technology? And if we want it, how can we reduce the bad side of it? Yeah. And this is a conversation we're not having at all. With yeah. Okay. That's a very good point. Social media computers and so yeah. on. Yeah. I, actually, so I think firstly, it's important to to point out that this is not new, of course. There have always been uh, people questioning advances in technology. I actually heard a fascinating one um, uh, a couple of days ago on a podcast of when pe- when they introduced phone numbers. Um, mm-hmm. Because in the past, when you wanted to call someone, you rang up an operator, you had a human interaction and they put you through. And there was this whole uh, anti uh, revolution against phone numbers where people would use them incorrectly or they would say them wrong. They claimed all a lot of the things we're claiming now against the phone number. Um, and of course, you know, now we're at a point where do you even remember phone numbers? So it's gone right, right. <laughs> completely the other way. But, um, yeah, I think, but I think possibly what has changed, which is possibly what you're saying is that it has become because of some of these advancements, especially things like social media and filter bubbles, it's become harder to criticize. And I think that is actually uh, an important change maybe. Um, or maybe we're being too um, too uh, presumptuous here in that in our lifetimes, mm-hmm. the two of us and people a little bit older and younger than us have seen this change but to be honest, if we actually look at the past, how easy was it for anyone to criticize changes to the status quo? And maybe we're just resisting change to what we've got used to. So, it's, it's, right. uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's easier and harder at the same time. Yeah. Like if, if you look at Galileo, who had to renounce his things, mm. uh, this won't happen yeah, anymore. On, on the other hand, now the challenge probably like you'll be ignored or a Twitter shitstorm will rise over you. So mm. <laughs> it's, yeah. At least you won't be killed anymore. So that's, that's a plus definitely. Well, uh, <laughs> certain arguments in certain parts of the world. Definitely. Uh, definitely. At least, yeah. at least not talking about computers, you'll be not crucified. <laughs> Maybe. I, I don't know. I, but I get it to be. Yeah. yeah. Actually, you're right. You just have to look at Snowden. And, yeah, yeah, true. It, true. It was the same thing, right? <laughs> I was listening to it again, another podcast episode just before I was speaking to you about, um, I guess it's not you're not going to be have your life threatened by talking about computers, but you certainly get your life threatened talking on them. That's for sure. Definitely, um, yeah. and that's a whole aspect in itself for this polarization yeah, sure. around opinions and communities is is an aspect yeah. in itself. We the positive was that we enabled people who couldn't find each other before to communicate, but that's also the negative because <laughs> <Correct>. <laughs> previously they didn't know about each other. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. actually a really interesting point because I, I don't think that people working at, at Facebook, Google, and so on yeah. that they don't have any morale or, or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that's the issue at all. It, it, 
they're thinking they're spending a lot of time thinking about the good parts yeah. um yeah. but only about the good parts exactly um, i completely agree with you there that's yeah. certainly a good point and yeah i think it's we almost need um we need sort of anti-product people. We have the product people who sit around <laughs> saying, this is what I want people to accomplish. And we need the anti-product people who sit there saying, yeah, but what if this happened? <laughs> that, that, that's a good word, actually, if you remember this one. <laughs> anti-product. Anti-product. I mean, anti-product manager. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe we could start a website. <laughs> that would be really cool. <laughs> um, and then I guess you, you wrap up with, uh, well, maybe you wrap Maybe you don't wrap up, but there's a sort of nice quote as well towards the end of this article from uh, Douglas, uh, Douglas, Douglas Engelbart, who was an intriguing person in, in himself. Like he was innovating on things that only now we're starting to see actually realized. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I strongly recommend everyone looks up um, on your search engine of choice, like the, the, was it the mother of all demos? Which yeah, is kind it's of, an amazing, yeah, amazing demo, especially example. if you put it in context of yeah. the time when it was done. Exactly. Um, and, and the quote you've mentioned from him is, these days the problem isn't how to innovate, it's how do you get society to adopt the good ideas that already exist. And right. I, I would, I mean, I don't even, he probably said this 30 years ago as well. So right. So, <laughs> um, and this is true. I mean, and if we want to take it down to a micro level, you've already mentioned things like JavaScript frameworks. I mean, uh-huh. it's a classic joke almost, but it's true. I mean, we have the ability now to collaborate on software, especially with open source, and yet people yeah. keep reinventing the wheel. Why yeah. not collaborate to improve something that exists? Why do we keep creating new alternatives instead? Uh-huh. Um, Wasn't that yeah. in your talk where we were talking about yeah. like not not doing actual real real world problems but um creating a new photo sharing app or something like that probably (laughs) (laughs) probably and there are reasons behind all this of course of course because we'd like to prove that we're better than other people some of it's just because money you know there's various reasons why we keep reinventing the wheel Definitely. Um, mm-hmm. And you've, you've quoted a couple of times from Steve Jobs, and Apple is a classic company of this. They never really invented much new. They just iteratively, iterate, God, I can never say that word, iteratively improved what was already there. Right. Um, and, you know, they had members of staff in the mother of all demos. So, <laughs> so you sort yeah. of see where that began. I mean, I mean, even Alan Kay works for Apple for, for yeah. some time. So yeah. like really those kind of people in there thinking about how, how they can make sense of computers and actually create a real yeah. world product out of those ideas. For sure. So, I mean, I said, we'd, I said uh, offline that we would uh, keep this conversation to half an hour. We've already gone half an hour. And I think I got about three quarters through your post. So um, <laughs> what would be a, a closing thought or comment if you've missed anything that you would like to make sure is mentioned well i I think the most important thing is that we shouldn't stop looking around for other and better ways of doing things Mm. Um, because if we do that we we stop being open up our alternative ways of thinking Mm -hmm. and that would be the real tragedy in here Uh, as you said before the, the ideas are out there um possible solutions, visions, everything is out there and you can even invent new things. But if you just follow the travel path, nothing new will, will come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I guess, so just to, to wrap up with something more practical, what are you working on at the moment that's sort of exciting you and how can people stay in touch with you and find out more from you? 
<laughs> Thanks so much for asking. So I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm helping uh, companies to attract better and more, more and better clients by actually thinking how to improve their digital processes. Mm -hmm. So I'm going a lot into IT marketing and business strategy. And you're very welcome to, to follow my newsletter where I talk about these topics. Uh, of course, you're very welcome to have a look at both talks. They're both on, on our website, and I'm sure we can share the links to those. Mm -hmm. And next year, I probably won't do another talk, but I <laughs> got an idea of like a small prototype I want to develop. And, yeah. yeah. Um, you can certainly stay, stay in touch with me over my website, newsletter, or if you feel so, I'm always um, looking forward to receive emails from people. Whilst that would have been a very nice point to end, I actually just want to pick up on what you said there because it was interesting <laughs> because um, we both did talks of this kind of nature at this particular conference. And mm -hmm. I don't know if you – I'm assuming you also read the feedback from attendees. And one of the, the feedback points was less lectures. <laughs> so, you know, I think this is interesting in that there's a, a few people in this space trying to have these discussions. And actually, my wife was at a, an event on Friday, an entire organization. And I've even um, also come across the, the uh, Tech Workers Collective, which is another organization kind of um, looking into some of these sorts of other issues. But we all know if anyone who's been an activist in the past or anyone who's ever tried to change someone's opinion that you often spend a lot of your time preaching to the converted, unfortunately. Right. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that is a whole other conversation again. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean, these are really, really hard yes, problems exactly. and hard yeah. things to think about. And yeah. I, I get it that many people don't have the time um, to do that. Yeah, or it's it's too intangible. I think this has been always one of the concepts yeah. about global warming and climate change as well is that people find it hard to grasp onto what it means and what they can actually do about it, whereas the smaller kind of more concrete things are yeah. easier and, to... And this is definitely a thing we can improve on. Yeah, and by, exactly. by not giving like these, these long talks or lectures, as you said, and, and provide more <laughs> meaningful, actionable things, of course. <laughs> so yeah. it's our own fault. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I understand what you mean. And I think that's always the best way is to just sneak in kind of like Trojan horses <laughs> right, right. into other talks and things like that. Yeah. I think that's probably always been my best bit of advice, especially coming from kind of more, more activist history as well is the big kind of grandiose gestures only get you so far, but you actually just need to do little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit. And it's actually the often the best way to change people's opinions in the long run. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, well, thank um, you so much for having me. Yeah, always to have interesting to have these sorts of conversations. So, thanks again. Yeah.